0: Good morning church, Uh, I'll try and speak louder, it's good to be here, it's good to be with you guys, Uh, I know it's it's difficult to come to church at this time of the year, many have left and can feel a bit uh, lonely, but we push on, we march on. Our topic for today is what's wrong with the world? What's wrong with the world? And to answer this question, we will go to Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 to 24, the fall account. What's wrong with the world? If you watch or listen to the news like I do, very soon you begin to realize that 80% of the news is reporting about the world's tragedies. It's reporting about the troubles of the world, the calamities that are happening around us. There's very little encouragement that you can get from the news or from any social media platform. You watch the news, you open social media, and you leave them more discouraged than you came. You, you begin to see a pattern that people are sad, people are depressed, people are hopeless, people are looking for an answer to this question what's wrong with the world? They look everywhere, and the world is getting worse. They are asking the question, "What's wrong with the world?" Perhaps even you today you are asking this question: "What's wrong with the world? What has happened? What has gone wrong?" Maybe you, you haven't realized this, but you have asked it in another way. Perhaps you have asked, "What's wrong with my children?" What's wrong with my parents? What's wrong with my boss? What's wrong with this guy? What's wrong with this lady? What's wrong with our president? Or even more, what's wrong with our country? With our great learning and technological advance, you would think that the word would be a better place. You would think that the world would be safer. You would think that people would be smart enough not to start wars. But our short history has taught us the world is indeed getting worse. It seems that our great learning has only made it possible for more people to practice their evil ideas and has intensified the consequences suffered by all. And so people are looking to answers to these questions because they see what's happening in the world. People are aware and they are worried about the future of this world. Because of this Thank you, brother. Because of this, a lot of people are starting to offer what they understand to be the solution to this question. They're starting to offer answers to the question, what's wrong with the world? There are some who claim that climate change is what's wrong with the world. They claim that we only need to reduce our carbon footprint to, to transition our energy to renewables, to green energy, so that we can fix the world. Some claim that the problem with the world is that we are intolerant of each other. We are not kind enough. We are not accepting each other as we are. They talk about acceptance. If we only let go of our old religious ideas and embrace change and progressive views, then the world will be a better place. But I would like to put it to you today that the answer to this question is simple and clear. Sin is what's wrong with the world. If there ever was an elephant in the room, it would be sin. And yet people run from discussing this topic. Even Christians avoid talking about sin. But if we are to succeed in giving answers to a questioning world, we need to talk about sin. If we are to do evangelism properly and effectively, we have to tell people about their sin. In exploring this topic, we tend to the fall account in Genesis 3, verses 1 to 24. It reads, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God has made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of the tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring he shall bring, bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel to the woman he said I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing in pain shall you shall bring forth children your desire shall be contrary to your husband but he shall rule over you and to Adam he said The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothes, and clothed clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the men, and at the east of the Garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. I want us to consider six points as we look at the impact of sin on this world. As we consider the nature and the impact of sin revealed in this account, the first point we learn is that sin works through deception. The the first thing we see here is, is the serpent. It is said that this serpent is crafty. The other version would say this serpent is cunning, it is clever. It is very unusual because God has created everything perfect. He has created all animals, all plants in a perfect way. So it is surprising that we find this serpent that is crafty. How is it that this serpent is described as more crafty? What happened to it? And as we learn further, we we, we see that the snake is actually under the control of Satan. The snake is not uh, working on its own. It is under the use of the devil. We are not just dealing with the snake, but we are dealing with Satan himself. And the first thing that comes out of the serpent's mouth is one that should have made the woman consent because the, the first thing that comes out of his mouth is questioning God's word. But it does it in a way that is subtle, in a way that is difficult to see. Did God actually say, you shall not eat of the tree in the garden? Did he actually say that? It, it comes in a mild form. In a sense that it didn't hear God correctly. It wants confirmation from the woman. Is this what God really said? It sounds like an innocent question. And this is how sin works. Sin disguises itself. Sin hides itself. It doesn't come in its full power. It comes in deception. The devil comes as an angel of light. He doesn't come himself because he knows that you will discover him. He comes as an angel of light. He comes as a wolf in sheep's clothing. Sin seeks to challenge the truth. And this is what is happening here. Satan is trying to challenge the truth of God. Is trying to get the woman to lose her guard. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. You need to be careful here, because... What the woman is saying is not fully what God said. There, 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 there's a pattern here. The woman is not saying exactly what God has said. If you go to Genesis chapter 2, verse 16, this is what God commanded them. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of the, every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. The woman talks about the tree in the midst of the garden. It, she talks about the fact that uh, they were commanded not to touch it. But God actually never said that. Uh, and, and, and this is the position that the devil wants to get us in. This is what he wants Sin wants to put us in a position where we don't respect God's word when we start to question it. The woman appears to have altered God's word. She, she's in a position where she believes that God's word is culpable to human alteration and manipulation. She has not said what God has said. This is what sin wants to do to us. It wants us to question God's word because the devil knows that God's word is our protection. God's word is our shield when we are attacked by the devil's schemes. Without the word, we cannot stand. Without his word, we are not protected. We are exposed to the devil's schemes. Which word are you listening to? Akani two weeks ago asked, what's your relationship with the word? Do you read the word? Do you stand by the word? Are you steadfast on the truth that you've learned in the word? Or are you shaken by every wind of doctrine? You see, the, the devil likes someone who is unstable, someone who doesn't know what they believe. He likes them because he can persuade them. He can change their mind. He can cause them to alter God's word, to believe in their opinions instead of believing in God's word. Do you take God at his word? Do you value your opinion over God's word? Think about that. Our second point sin appeals to our pride. The devil is cunning. The devil is clever. He knows we are prideful. He knows we we think high of ourselves. Listen to verse 5. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, what, what, what the devil has done here is cunning. It's clever. Because he has managed to convince the woman that God is hiding something from you. That God has not given you the full truth. When you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. God has kept you blind. He, he hasn't fully opened your eyes to see what's happening. He doesn't want you to be like him. He knows that when you eat of this truth, of this tree, you will be like him, knowing good and evil. And you can imagine the woman starting to become curious. Uh, she, she, She would ask Adam, is it true what the serpent is saying? And Adam being a coward, he would keep quiet. The devil convinces the woman that there is more to be known. There is more to be seen. God has made you blind. He hasn't opened your eyes to the truth. And just like that, the woman begins to be curious. She begins to look at the tree differently. She may have been ignorant of it before, but now she's Really looking at that tree. Satan gives them a promise that when you eat of this tree, you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. But of course, the devil, being the devil, he's lying to them, he's not telling them the truth. God has already made them in his own image. So they are already like God. But Satan managed to convince them that we are not like God. This is Satan's tactic. He tells them just enough truth mixed with lies to turn them against God. Now it looks like God is the bad guy. God is hiding something from them. It looks like God doesn't want them to flourish doesn't want them to see the world as he sees it. In verse 6, you see now the woman's curiosity. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, suddenly the tree is good for food. God had given them every tree, every animal, all kinds of food were available for them not like God has hidden something from them. He had given them everything. But suddenly this tree is of interest. So the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes. Suddenly the tree becomes delightful. The tree is desired to make one wise. And what did she do? She took off its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. You see, the the woman thought that this was the tree that was going to fulfill her desires for authority, her desires to be like God. Suddenly it becomes a delight to her eyes. Suddenly this is the source of wisdom, not God. It is this... Discontentment that leads us to be excessively worried and depressed. We want to be more. We want to have more control. We want more authority. We think high of ourselves. It is this pride that blinds us. We fail to see what we have, what God has given us. We want to be masters of our own fate, captains of our own souls. We want to have control. Hear this warning from Proverbs sixteen eighteen: Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. This is exactly what happened to Adam and Eve. They let their pride control them and that led to their downfall. The devil appeals to our pride. He knows we are not content. He knows we want more and is ready to lie to us. That is the one who will give it to us. Point number three. Sin destroys our relationship with God. Now we see the consequences and the impact of sin on us and on the world. Adam and Eve They have enjoyed uninterrupted fellowship with God. They had full access to him in his perfect creation. They enjoyed working the garden and taking care of the animals. They had unlimited supply of food and drink. They were in God's presence and everything was good. But something happened after they ate the fruit. The first thing that happened is that they became guilty. Look at verse 7. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. As the devil has promised, if you eat the fruit the tree, you will know the difference between good and evil. But the problem is now they knew the difference between good and evil. But they don't know it from God. They know it by experience. They know this because they have committed evil against a good God. And this has made them guilty. The devil managed to convince them that there is more to be gained by disobedience rather than obedience. Why do you think people sin? They sin because they are convinced there's a benefit we will be like God, we'll know between good and evil. Even if the benefit is momentary and it doesn't last, people people convince themselves that sin benefits them. However, we learn that sin is more harmful, it destroys our relationship with God. Adam's sin made us all guilty and deserving of God's punishment. We are all guilty because of the sin of Adam and Eve. Second, they became ashamed. In verse 8 to 10, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. You can feel the shame of Adam and Eve. They are naked. Now they know what's happening. Adam and Eve were finally exposed to what they really are, and they didn't like their nakedness. So they hid and covered up. Sin exposes us. It reveals who we truly are. It brings shame because we finally realize that we had high views of ourselves. Sin humbles us. It causes us to see who we really are. Sin reveals our unfaithfulness to a God who has been good to us. Sin reveals our ingratitude to God. Sin makes us bad servants undeserving of God's kindness. Because of our shame, our relationship with God is scarred and we run and hide from him. We don't want a holy God to look on us and see filthiness. And this is what Satan wants. He rejoices when he sees us running and hiding from God because of sin. He rejoices. When we run, instead of going to God for forgiveness. Third, because of their sin, they were removed from the garden. Verse 22, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. Their fellowship with God was ended. All their privileges were taken away. They were expelled from the garden. The couple could not be trusted with the tree of life because God didn't want them to eat of that tree and live forever in their sinful condition. Our relationship with God since the fall is hostile. Sin has turned us against God and has made us deserving of his wrath. Having disobeyed God, Adam, as our representative, has brought us into direct conflict with God. There is no peace anymore. We we, we have inherited this nature That hates the law of God. All our inclinations are towards sin and away from God. Adam's sin affects all our being. There is no part of us that is not touched by this sin. It affects our thoughts, our emotions, our actions. Isaiah 64 says, All our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? The sinfulness of the heart of man is beyond comprehension. Point number four. Sin destroys our relationship with one another. First, sin has made the creation of another being a painful process. Look at verse 16. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Every pain, every complication, every loss during pregnancy is because of the fall. Sin has made it difficult to produce another human being. Second, sin has affected the most basic of human relationships, marriage. Look at Genesis 3.16b. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. Because of sin, the woman in the marriage will try to overthrow the authority of the man. This is where the modern feminist movement comes from. A desire to overthrow God's design for a successful marriage. And the man is also affected. He, he, he begins to blame the woman. He becomes a coward in, his, in this marriage. He blames the woman. This woman that you gave me made me sin. You see, marriage relationship is affected by sin. All the heartache, all the divorce, all the conflict and the pain is because of the fall. Said, sin causes strife in general society. Throughout history, men who have been overthrown by sin have been responsible for the most heartless tragedies. Think of the world wars. Think of the, the Holocaust. Think of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Think of all Christians who have been persecuted throughout the world. Think of all the suffering, all the devastation that is happening. All this is because of the fall. All this is because we have inherited Adam's sin. You look at the brutal nature of gender-based violence. The heartless killings of babies in the womb. Look at gangsterism, young people murdering each other. I look at evil leaders who loot and look for their own interests instead of saving their people. All this is because of sin. History is a display of the fall. Point number five. Sin destroys our relationship with creation. In Genesis 1, mankind is commissioned to rule all creation. He's commanded to have dominion over all things. He was to exercise authority over all the plants and animals. However, in Genesis 3, we see that man has given up his authority to the creation. We see a reverse of roles. Adam and Eve, when they were supposed to rule the snake, the snake rules over them. Sin. Cause it's a reversal of roles. The creation, that is the serpent, now rules mankind. And this is where the problem began because Adam was supposed to rule over the snake, he was to- supposed to stop the snake. This is what has caused their downfall. And because of this, God said, I will kiss the ground. In Genesis three seventeen, the ground will be cast, and in pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Men will have to work hard to produce food from the ground. The ground will not offer him anything for free. He will have to work and sweat for it. He will have to clear the weeds and work and till the ground so that he can plant seeds and wait for the crops. This is how he is to eat, by the sweat of his face, because of his sin. The ground will actively work against him by producing thorns and thistles. Genesis three verse eighteen. And finally, the ground will receive him when he dies. Genesis three nineteen. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it You were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Sin affects our relationship with creation. You see in Romans 8, the the Bible talks about that creation groans in the pains of childbirth. Creation is complaining that we are not ruling it as God has designed. And you learn that creation awaits the glorification of the sons of God. Creation awaits a time where it will be ruled the way God has determined. Point number six Sin results in death for the whole world. The ultimate consequence of sin is death. Romans 5, verse 12, Paul says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, that is Adam, and death through sin, And so death spread to all men, because all have sinned. Adam's sin directly impacts us. It is as if we were the ones who sinned. We were the ones who took that fruit, even though we were not there. But his sin is reckoned to us. His sin is imputed on us. We are considered sinners because Adam is our representative before God. Romans 5 verse 12 says, verse 14, Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Even if our sinning was not the same as the one Adam did, but death came to us also. Because when Adam sinned, he was representing all mankind. Death came to all of us. We are treated as if we are the ones who ate the fruit because Adam represented us before God. His sin is our sin. His death is our death. The death we suffer from the fall is threefold. Three ways in which we die from the fall. First, we die spiritually This is what happened to Adam and Eve. They didn't die physically, but spiritually they were dead. This is an alienation from God. Ephesians 2, verse 1 says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You see, because of sin, we are rendered unresponsive to spiritual truth. We become blinded, we become veiled. The God of this world has blinded us. We are kept in darkness. We are kept in spiritual death. Spiritual death gives us hearts that are hostile to God, hearts that are enemies of the law of God. Romans 8 talks about the fact that we cannot obey God. We don't want to obey him and we cannot obey him because of our flesh. Second, Adam's sin results in physical death. God promised Adam that he will return to the ground, which means he will physically die eventually. And the first record of physical death is seen in chapter 4 when Cain made us his brother Abel. Throughout the Bible, there's evidence of countless people dying. You look at even the years people used to live. People used to live longer at the beginning of the Bible. But the years would keep going down and down and down. The third kind of death that we die from this sin is eternal death. This is the death of those who die without Christ. Those who die without faith in Christ for salvation. It's the death of those who are spiritually dead. This is called the second death. It's eternal separation from God's presence to bless. Now that we have seen the the devastation of sin... Now that we know what's wrong with the world, we should ask ourselves, what is the solution to all of this? Who is going to rescue sinners like us from a holy God? Who is going to stand before us, before God? Who is going to stand between us and God? Who will save us? This is why we celebrate Christmas. This is why we celebrate the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ, our King, our Savior, our Captain, and our Redeemer. Genesis 3.15, in the midst of the fall account, God gives the gospel. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. He shall bruise your head, the offspring. Who is this offspring? Who is God talking about? We we, we learn that this offspring is Jesus Christ. This is the one of whom it is written, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Jesus came into the world to reconcile us back to God. He came into the world to remove the wall of hostility. He came to reverse the damage that Adam's sin has done. It started 2,000 years ago when Jesus conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, didn't inherit Adam's sin. Unlike us, Jesus was born pure. He was untouched by Adam's sin. He was born without sin. He was sinless. He was perfect. He was spotless. And he went on to live a righteous life, fulfilling all the righteous requirement of the law, that we could not hold. The curse of sin was put on him, and he died on the cross for a sin he has never committed. He suffered as a sinner, as a thief, as one deserving of death. That death on the cross was God giving up his son as a sacrifice for our sin. He gave him up as a lamb for sacrifice. His blood was shed for our sin. His perfect life secured righteousness for us, and his death secured life for us. And God validated his work by raising him from the dead on the third day, defeating death and reversing the curse. Jesus has punished sin and death for us. He has reconciled us back to God, restoring our relationship and reversing the curse. Jesus is coming to fix it all. Yes, he is done with death. He has paid for the penalty of our sin. But he is not done because creation is still in cahoots with us. He is not done because men are still fighting one another but Jesus is coming to fix it all. When he comes, he will create a world where men and women understand each other. He'll create a world where there is peace and joy for everyone. He'll create a world where there is restoration, where men will rule creation as God has designed. He'll create a world as it was before the fall. There will be a new Garden of Eden. All loss, all pain, all heartache will be repaid. The world will be restored to order. Indeed, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Behold the virgin. Shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. God has come. He has come. He has restored us back to himself. He has restored our relationship. He has taken away the hostility. He has taken away our sin, so that when God looks at us, he sees the righteousness that Christ has secured. And he is coming again to fix all creation, to fix all relationships, to fix all the heartache. All that is wrong with this world will be fixed when Christ comes again. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your word that tells us how sin impacts our lives and how sin impacts the world around us. Help us, Father, to be bold in proclaiming this message that sin is our enemy and that Christ came to fight sin and he has fought and he has won. Help us to spread the message of the gospel that says, come, come, all you who are are heavy laden. Come, all you, who are stressed, all you who are depressed, all you who are worried about this world, come and see salvation. Come and have peace. Thank you for Jesus Christ. And thank you that we can look forward to his coming when he will restore all things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.